Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 through 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance of as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is this? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. After this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good, without maggots or odor. Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out and pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. The Israelites called the food manna. It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. This is the word of the Lord. I have what I would call a somewhat normal pattern for illness in my life. Around the beginning of Advent season, when we're preparing and ramping up for Christmas, my life has lived at full bore with activities and events, worship, concerts, parties, joyful celebrations, and interactions. And you probably are familiar with that type of blueprint, because even if it doesn't happen for you around that preparation for Christmas time, it likely happens for you at some point during the year. And when I'm at my healthiest, my good habits counter those extra demands on my life and I'm able to emerge on the other side of this intense time of year, needing a good, deep breath, and off I go into the beginning of the new year. If there are extra stressors, however, maybe additional demands, and I'm not exactly at my healthiest, maybe I'll eat garbage every day, or miss workouts, 
or perhaps reduce sleep and restorative downtime and soldier on until I simply cannot anymore. It seems that my body hit its limits on about Monday or Tuesday of this past week when my coping methods of treating my body like garbage and willfully ignoring any of the signs of my need for recovery, partly out of spite, it seems these needs caught up with me and my best efforts at productivity were met with general displeasure by my sick body. Against my fairly weak protests, my lovely wife told me that I had better see somebody about my condition. And I don't like going to doctors, not because I don't care to admit my weaknesses, I'm fine with that, I realize I have limitations, but because I usually don't feel better after paying somebody to tell me that I don't feel well. All this to say, God, it seems, is not without a sense of humor or irony. See, I knew since last November that this Sunday I would be speaking to you about blessing our health. I don't think God caused my illness, but God has taken this week to let me know first to preach to myself about these things that I hope to now share with you. And if you need yet another example that I'm preaching not out of my expertise, but out of my own personal need for God's restorative grace, let this message be added to the list. I don't have this all down, but fortunately, Scripture has some very helpful things to share with us about how our lives may be picked up. As we seek the manufacturer's instructions on how we might hope for a good new start to this new year, or perhaps ways to get ourselves unstuck, this week we are looking at blessing health. And that leads to our first lesson from this morning. We can honor the gift of well-being, but there are no guarantees. We can honor the gift of well-being, but there are no guarantees. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus is sharing the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking here about how it is that we bless and care for our enemies, but he says in the treatment of God for those that we may have disagreements with, in that way you'll be acting like true children of your Father in heaven, for God himself gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends the nourishing rain on the just and unjust alike. It's not a matter of deserving God is equally handed with all. Now, I was sitting on a porch with a woman named Loretta several years ago. This 86-year-old spark plug had recently been placed on hospice care, and she saw the funeral I did for her granddaughter, who died far too young. She figured I did a good enough job, and she didn't want some stranger to tell lies about her at her funeral, and so she asked if I would come to get to know her before she died so that I would be able to speak at her services. I like people. That offer was just a little too unique for me to turn down, and so I took the opportunity and go and visit with her several times before she submitted to the COPD and lung cancer that was gradually winning the battle for her health. I thought perhaps I might be able to offer some hope in the name of Christ into her season of trial as well. Now, from time to time, I knew that Loretta would take leave from her hospice bed and go and sit on her porch. And I wish I'd be able to say it was for the sake of the, the beauty of the day or to take in some fresh air. But the reality was the porch is where her cigarette rolling machine was. And that's where she went to roll her un or lightly filtered cigarettes and have a smoke. The first time I went over to visit her, she asked me if it would be okay if she smoked. And I wanted to make sure that I was reading her correctly. And because... As cautious as I like to be, it seemed like a good time to go out on a limb, partly because Loretta wasn't used to entertaining clergy in her home, and she needed to know that I was a safe person to be with. And so I told her, 
I'm a guest on your porch. You can do whatever you darn well please. And then I threw in, but I have to tell you, Loretta, I hear these things will kill you. She gave me the kind of look that you give to somebody who can dish it out as well as take it. She laughed, and then she lit up. We had a great visit, and we got to do that a few more times before I had the opportunity to commemorate her life. She had smoked from her teenage years on. Loretta suffered some at the point of her diagnosis up into the point when she was placed on comfort care, but she still beat the average lifespan of a woman in the U.S. by about seven or eight years. I don't place value judgments on that. Nobody deserves cancer. Nobody deserves COPD. It's a heartbreaking consequence that some folks suffer, and it's a hefty price to pay. And then there are folks who do none of that. They're always health conscious. They eat right. They exercise well, practice abstinence, or at most moderation in things that can be considered a vice. They run the playbook on healthy living, and yet that doesn't guarantee a long life full from free from illness and disease. Some of the suffering we endure maybe is genetic, some of it may be environmental, some of it is just a mystery. But because of that, it doesn't mean we do nothing. It may mean that it's not all in our hands, and we're not always sure why. It is so much easier to live in a world that has guarantees and if-then propositions. People really wanted Jesus to help them figure out the direct cause and effect of some of the suffering that people experience in life, but he didn't always give them clear guidance in that regard. There's a, an issue in John chapter 9 where Jesus is walking along and he encounters a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples said, Teacher, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or the sins of his parents? And Jesus says it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened to so, show the power of God through him. There's not always a good reason to credit good health or to blame illness. But Jesus does invite us to glorify God as best we can in any case. So since there are no clear guarantees for enduring good health, what are some of the things that we can at least do to honor and glorify God with the gift of health that's given to us, whatever it is? And that leads to our second lesson. Blessing our health is connected to a sense of sufficiency. Blessing our health is connected to a sense of sufficiency. Verse 13 of this morning's passage. That evening, a number of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. And when that dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other because they had no idea what it was. Moses told them, it's the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for every person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. Those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Exodus, in total, is a story that's entirely about a people who were enculturated into slavery and how they were being deprogrammed out of the shackles of slavery that remained on the other side of their liberation. God heard the cries of his beloved Hebrew children. And with the power and might of his holiness, he set them free from the strongest empire known on earth at that time. And though their bodies were no longer under the control of a merciless master, their minds and their hearts and their spirits 
still were. As you see with people who have dealt with things like food scarcity or food insecurity, they did not know what to do with the sudden and unconditional provision of food. They only knew to hoard or hide or share as quickly as possible with their loved ones because tomorrow all of this could run out. On the other side of the pendulum, you see people finding their security and comfort in this sign of provision, but it's not the same thing as finding their security and comfort in a relationship with the provider. These freed Hebrew children were at risk of all of these possible outcomes, and God needed to wipe that programming away from a people who had been treated mercilessly. See, the goal was not just to feed the people, but to teach them that they could rely on and trust the God who delivered them from captivity and into freedom out of a great love. And nothing, not even the good gifts that God could supply, should take the place of that. But we as humans have always struggled with sufficiency. Even if we hadn't been raised in scarcity, we're raised in a fallen world where more than enough somehow still never satisfies. What we crave isn't always aligned with what we need to thrive. It might be when I'm on my third brownie of the day when that reality occurs to me once again. Those things are delicious. I really like the taste of addictive foods, but I have more need of actual nutrition and moderation than my cravings might convey. And if I dig a little deeper, the comfort that I receive from these comfort foods don't compare to the satisfaction of relying upon God to be enough for me in times of my junior bacon cheeseburger four for four temptations, even if it includes the spicy nuggets. See, in the desert, the Hebrew people were scoffing at God's provision. The miraculous gift of daily bread being provided from heaven, like dew on the morning ground, was not enough for them. Because when it came down to it, enough was never going to be enough. It's not, I'm sorry, it's been that way since the very first garden when a singular thou shalt not quickly turned into a can't live without. And as long as things that harm us hold power over us, our well-being is going to be compromised. Intermittent fasting is one of the ways that some people count as kind of craving, as a way to reorient towards the power of God over the sway of food-based temptations. I know a number of people who have taken 2020 as a year to spend some time fasting and inviting God to bring about global revival through the church because Jesus tells us that there's power in seeking God through times of self-denial. Maybe some folks are doing it for a meal a day. Maybe it's just a meal a week. But they are seeking God's power and maybe some helpful reorientation of a relationship with Jesus and his provision by leaning on him to satisfy hunger. And there is blessing in that. And that leads to our third lesson this morning. Blessing our health requires adequate rest. On the sixth day, verse 22 tells us, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation, and he told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath set apart for the Lord. So baker boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. And so they put some aside till morning, just as Moses commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor, which is nice. They should put that on the brochure. 
Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, and there will be no food on the ground that day. This was definitely the harder piece for people who had been treated like machines designed for ceaseless labor. Rest was not an option, and any sign of laziness was punished severely. And this is exactly one of the reasons why God placed such an emphasis on the command to honor a day of rest and set it aside to be renewed in relationship with God. The Hebrew people were programmed to only recognize their worth in their ability to produce for the benefit of their masters. God needed them to know that they are dignified people of matchless worth even when they were at rest in the care of their God. Even when they were bone tired and in need of restoration, they were perfectly loved, not for what they were doing or not doing, or even because of who they were, but because of the innate goodness of God who claimed them as his very own and started to repair their broken spirits back to a place where they could be whole and wholly loved again. And here's a secret this culture really doesn't seem to like. We will never get to the place of being whole or knowing how holy loved we are if we don't take time to sit and linger in the unconditional love of God. There is no other roadmap to restoration and wholeness that doesn't include giving time to God to bring restoration, peace, and love to our lives. There's no medicinal shortcut. There's no vacation we can take. There's no Pinot Noir that can get us there. Nothing takes the place of confessing our limitations, confessing our need for rest, and spending that restorative time with God. We like to think that maybe an hour or two every week or so can get it done, but that's not the liberating voice of God telling us that. That's the voice of a merciless master who doesn't have our abundant, true, and eternal life at heart. Sometimes we really like those masters. Even the people God led out of slavery found freedom pretty demanding. When they discovered that it was a gift they would have to fight for to claim, they rebelled. In Numbers 14, 1 through 3, the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protests against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in our wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Claiming your freedom to be made whole is difficult, and it often doesn't come without a fight, maybe some self-advocacy, but it's worth it. It's one of the reasons why there are so many jokes floating around on the internet about what a great thing it is when plans are canceled so you can instead do nothing for a night. It's because we don't prioritize or plan for actual rest, and we need it. And perhaps more importantly, we need to focus on the God who tends to our needs and keeps the world spinning just fine even when we hop off the treadmill. Rest is a reminder for us that God is still in charge, even when we're not striving. And honestly, some of us don't love the fact that we are loved because God is loving and not because we've worked so hard to earn it. I can't guarantee that having a good measure of God's sufficient provision and having time in God's restorative presence will safeguard us from all ills and harm. That's not how it works. That's not a promise that God made. 
but if we want to bless the well-being that's given to us and honor this gift of life, then part of our practice is honoring the God who gives us these gifts and being thankful and finding that God's provision is enough in spending time in God's loving presence. So would you pray with me? God, you take care of us in ways that we've never earned, that we couldn't possibly build up enough credit to deserve. And it's because of who you are that we are accepted, that we are found, and that we're made new. Lord, for all the gifts you give us, providing for daily bread in whatever form it comes, for giving us opportunity to rest and to claim that gift of rest, we give you thanks. We pray that you would allow us to experience the gift of health. Maybe we've come with burdens or illness or troubles. And we ask that to every extent possible, you would bring fullness of life to your beloved people. And we give you glory for that. We thank you for it. And we hope to live lives of grateful praise because of the kindness that you show us. We offer all of this in Christ's powerful name. Amen.